Hello there. I'm so glad you found Organic Matters once again, whether you're on one of my podcasts or one of the radio stations. I appreciate you tuning in and tell your friends of, about me. It's very easy to find me on any, basically any podcast station carries me now. And you can just look for Organic Matters radio show. Or if you want to take it directly from my URL, my, my computer, you can go to my name, all lowercase, Bruce, B-R-U-C-E dot Dooley, D-E-U-L-E-Y dot C-O-M dot com. So I hope you enjoy the show. If you've listened to me or actually just had your, uh, <laughs> listen to any news, you find out that a lot of our pollinators, mostly insects, of course, but not all insects, bats and some other Mammals and a few birds are also help us with pollinating the plants that we need. But we're going to talk a little bit about what we call reverse pollination decline in your backyard. I guess in English, I'm telling you what we can do to help these critters help us. So why are pollinators important? Pollinator decline seriously threatens biodiversity and local food securities. Host solitary bees, plant milkweed for monarchs, and more to help support your local pollinators. We'll get into that. If bees disappeared off the face of the earth overnight, men would only have about four years left to survive. I know that sounds unreal, but it's really a true statement according to science. You may have heard this quote, often attributed, but we're not sure if it is, from Einstein. And while the words are Overly dramatic, I have to say that, and the message is not exactly factual to the truest sense. It is true that pollinators are in really big trouble. And if their decline continues, so are we. The United States Department of Agriculture tells us without pollinators, uh, in a short note, we simply won't have enough to eat. U.S. farmers rely on one pollinator species in particular, that is the honeybee, we'll do this once, Apis mellifera to pollinate a good amount of our crops. Honeybees produce an estimated $15 billion worth of food each year. Incidentally, that's about a third of the food produced in the entire United States. And if their populations continue to dwindle, if they start going away, consumers will have to pick up the tab. In essence, fresh fruit and vegetables could become luxuries only the wealthy can afford. Thanks to those pollinators, you can enjoy a wide range of products. The apple you're munching, the coffee you had for breakfast, the cotton and the clothes you're wearing, all brought to you by a pollinator one way or the other. While bees are considered our most important pollinators, a myriad of other animals also pollinate. At least 100,000 invertebrates such as beetles, wasps, and butterflies, as well as more than 1,000 birds, mammals, amphibians, and reptiles. These animals are all part of an indispensable pollinator plant ecosystem that until now, most of us have taken for granted. Unfortunately, in the last few decades, we've actually seen a steady decline in our pollinator populations, not just here in our country, the United States, but in the whole world, mainly due to habitat loss. Big, big problem also, of course, are the numbers and the amount of pesticides we use. And now we've got to consider climate change, in certain parts of our country, for instance, invasive species and even parasites that actually work on our pollinators. 
Now, folks, honestly, we won't perish with the bees, as the quote kind of suggests, whether it was Einstein or whoever. But if we do nothing to help them, the ones of us that are unwilling to shell out the $20 for an apple can expect a bland and boring future. Uh, we'll probably we'll still have wheat. We'll still have corn. They are not bee pollinated. And other wind pollinated crops. In addition to flavor and variety, though, we will also lose a heck of a lot of health benefits. We see a sharp decline in crops and wild plants that provide us with important, what we call micronutrients, leading to an increasingly uh, deficient and severely uh, impacted global food system without them. If we look at the big picture, bees are going extinct, if they are, but that wouldn't be an isolated occurrence but would most likely come at the end of a long chain of events that would leave the planet and subsequently us at some point pretty decimated. Spreading awareness of pollinator decline and ensuring policies uh, that do help them and get put in place to reverse it is crucial now. While the challenges they face are many, we can help pollinators recover by providing food, water, and shelter in your own backyard or even a windowsill can help. There are a few things you can do to help them thrive. First thing you do when you plant your, your garden or your yard is to create a succession of blooming. Plants, shrubs, flowers, and trees of a variety of colors, shapes, and scents and that flower at different times. This will attract many different kinds of pollinators and provide them with nectar and pollen from spring into the fall. Many flowering shrubs and trees provide food early in the spring when it's otherwise scarce. A few examples of these that I've come across are cherry trees, poplars, blueberries, if you're in an area you can grow them, and most people are surprised, the willow tree. And if you're really going to consider the pollinators, you want to provide food for their entire life cycle. This is especially true for butterflies and caterpillars. Animals in adult and immature stages usually, or in many cases, like different plants. Eastern black swallowtail caterpillars, for instance, only eat plants from the carrot family. Monarch caterpillars, which is the ones we really worry about, at least I do, only eat milkweed, while the adults enjoy a variety of different flowers. Plant caterpillar favorites, such as milkweed for monarchs, in less conspicuous places, if you want. They're not always the most beautiful plant. Actually, when they first start out, they probably will be, but since you're planting them to be eaten, you can put them in less conspicuous places as they'll be uh, visibly chewed on, hopefully. That's what you're putting them out there for. And while you're considering what to plant, think about this. After a lot of studies, plant native species. Native plants and native wildlife have co-evolved to be together. They need each other. This makes a variety of native plants the best habitat and food for pollinators and having plants that thrive in the existing light moisture and soil conditions of your garden will also make caring for them much easier for you. Incidentally, because we usually only talk about honeybees, most people don't realize most bee species actually don't form hives, but they nest and lay eggs in rotting wood or in sandy soil. Uh, they, they, they use the environment they were raised in, leaving some dead tree trunks and bare patches of well-drained sandy soil in your backyard, if you have that kind of soil, will provide excellent nesting places for many species of bees. There are also many different kinds of bug hotels you can actually buy, and it's easy to build them yourself if you happen to be a handyman. Also, 
A shallow dish or a bird bath filled with stones or marbles will make a great watering hole for many different pollinators. They need perches in low water to drink safely. Some, especially butterflies, but also some species of bees prefer to quench their thirst in a mud puddle, which you can <laughs> create them all the time. You can easily create by just letting a garden hose or a faucet drip into a dampened soil for a little bit every day. Somewhere in your yard, plant some milkweed. In the last two decades, monarch butterfly populations have plummeted by at least 90% in the east and to near extinction in the west. Habitat loss and the use of herbicides are largely to blame, but another cause is the lack of milkweed, a plant which hosts the caterpillar only and thus is necessary for the butterfly to, to complete its life cycle. In a study by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, it was estimated that if just two out of every 100 city dwellers, two, two percent, uh, especially on the eastern coast is where they studied it. If this 2% planted milkweed, the urban areas could provide around 30% of all the habitat needed for the eastern population to fully recover. 2%, two houses out of every 100. You can easily find out which kind of milkweed is native to your re region, but no pollinator-friendly gardening is really complete without at least a small portion of it being dedicated to one of the many species of milkweed, you do want to use the ones that are local for where you are, but that's easy to find out. The, uh, your local ag department will have lists of them for you to choose from. So anyway, that's just a few ideas just a few of how to provide habitat and food for various pollinators. I want to th throw this in just at the end of this little gathering. Though. Most importantly, it's actually, I think, even particularly where I got this information from underemphasizes it. The biggest thing you can do is stop using pesticides in your yard. Does it take a little bit more work to go, quote unquote, organic? Yes. But it saves so many, especially insects, but even other wild animals. Remember, when you kill enough insects, you're not going to get enough birds. You're not going to get enough other uh, species of animals that actually make the whole ecology system work. Even though an insect or a bee seems like kind of a low form of living for us, they are a key necessary for the entire ecosystem. The big picture, folks, is what we're looking at. And it so happens that the, the lowly bee or the pollinators that we're talking about is the important part that starts that whole chain of reactions that makes it possible for most everything else from the food we want to eat to other animals that interact with them in their natural habitat. So to wrap up this portion of the show, let me bring up one other little critter that we don't consider that is more important than we imagine. That's the lowly earthworm. I could do a whole show on them. I may do that as a matter of fact. I've raised them. I've studied them. I did a show a few months ago about the bad side. Believe it or not, I try to get both sides. There's places where earthworms are actually becoming a problem. Most of us, I certainly didn't realize that in the northern part of the United States, and of course on up through Canada, there at one time was, were no earthworms. They got wiped out in the last real cold period. They claim it's 10 or 12,000 years ago. So the earthworms you find up there in the forest are actually introduced mostly from Europe, but from other parts of the world. And the plants did not evolve to grow with them. There are areas where there's so many earthworms that they eat the soil to the point that the trees don't have enough support for their roots, and the trees actually lay down. 
and they figured out it was an excessive. The, the earthworms eat so much organic material and make it into soil. That's the good side. But the, the, again, it didn't evolve to be that way, so the, it ends up affecting the forest in, ne- in negative ways. Not where you live, though. Anybody where you're listening here, if, you're, if you have healthy earthworms, if you, have, you dig your soil and you have earthworms in them, you've got healthy soil. Do not use the pesticides, the herbicides, the roundups. They are detrimental to the entire living ecosystem in your soil, including earthworms. Earthworms are a sign that what you're doing is healthy for the soil, healthy for the ecology, and guess what? It makes the, the foods that you grow there healthier for you. Thanks for tuning in to Organic Matters.